Hello and welcome to the Wrong Road Podcast, uh, episodes seven. Oh, Pretty sure it's seven. This is a and it's the uh, anyway. it's the Halloween special. Oh. I am joined by George, who was doing some Hello. great sound effects there. Yeah, Tom, who was also doing some great sound effects there. It is <laughs> wild. That was kind of spooky. And uh, <laughs> and Samuel. Uh, that, that was a really good introduction, actually. That was a bit anticlimactic, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Sam. Uh, uh, and Sam's here. Uh, uh, <laughs> Sam's still ready to listen to these stories. He's dying. <laughs> yeah. So the plan is, I have some railway-themed... Uh, Spooky stories to tell. And um, I'm scared. I've done all the research, so they don't know what the story's about. And uh, yeah, do any of you guys actually believe in ghosts? Probably not. But yeah. Oh yeah, go on then. Why do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> well, actually, for real, on a real note, I mean, I don't really know yeah. where this warrants me believing in ghosts. But one okay. time, I was walking up the stairs in my house, the one I'm in right now, and then I genuinely heard someone come up the stairs behind me. I, it sounded like it was my sister. I literally turned around to like do something annoying to my sister because she asked what you Take do. her in the face. Um, and there's no one there. Oh. Um, and then uh, I went upstairs and then I felt, I just felt something, you know? It was weird. Yeah. That's my, that's my only true, that's my only, like, it felt like something touched me. Oh. On my shoulder. Interesting. <laughs> but, it, but, Again, nothing. And then conveniently after that, the, my, I had a chair that isn't there anymore, but I had a bag on that chair. It fell off after that. Oh, no. So, that's, that, so those three uh, things spooky. in order is spooky. Um, you that's the only experience that I had. Fair that's enough. That is a bit freaky. Anyone else yeah, have any experiences or not? I don't think I have, really. I haven't. No. No, that's the only unex, that's the only unexplainable event I've ever had happen to me. Well, I, I will say it is a bit that... it is a bit creepy being in um the one hundred and fifty year old museum that I spent most of my time in on your own. I don't like working in there alone, especially in the winter. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> in that. I wouldn't say ghostly. They all say it's, it's going to be more it's going to be more creepy with the mannequins in there. <laughs> oh god! Yeah. <laughs> well, before they the took mannequins. the bloody off, yeah, we, we've got. It just randomly started screaming, and they took it off. <laughs> we've got, we've got, we've got a bunch of uh, mannequins that we that were surplus to requirement from Swindon Museum. Oh, mm. right. So they're How not really are these men. They're, they're very creepy. <laughs> they're they're awful. Like they're, they're deteriorated as well. So they just they generally look dead. It's like <laughs> nice. I, I named them. All, like, got... I remember what I named them all now. Well, the one by there's one by the, the the door, right, the entrance door, and we called it Roger because the station master's called Roger, although ironically <laughs> it's taller than him. And um, it, they put this little voice box thing on it, so if you walk past it, you go, "Hello, I'm Roger, and welcome to the Gage Museum." But then after a while, <laughs> it just randomly started making this screaming noise, which go, <laughs> no reason, and it just shrieked this old lady right out, and we took it off straight away, and they've not put it back on since. And one night, we were trying to lock up. 
and they put it too close to the alarm and we couldn't lock the, the, the museum and work out what it was. And I said, huh, I bet it's one of the mannequins. They probably moved. And it genuinely was the mannequin that's preventing it from locking. So those things are possessed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there is proof of ghosts then right there. Yeah. But, yeah, um, definitely. Tom's just told us his first spooky story. It's better than yours, actually. Yeah, I have actually. Oh, yeah. I haven't even read mine yet, but that is the best one. <laughs> yeah. It's better than all the ones I've got, to be fair. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a few uh, small stories to start with, but I'm going to let you guys pick okay. which one to start with. I'm just going to give you some names. There's uh, The Station Spirit. Uh, I, the second one I picked purely for the name. Uh, it's called Flailing Hand. <laughs> and the, uh, the third that's one, not spooky uh, that's just me oh you don't know yet uh, yeah. <laughs> that's just you at every gala that we go to <laughs> and then the last one is bricked up train hey what, where's um, the ghouling gronk is that is bricked up train not just um, the Thomas episode where Henry gets shot it, pretty much it <laughs> pretty much is someone, um, someone I'll, go with the first one. I'll go with the first one the station spirit yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to love this one. So Are you going to dub in some creepy music? Yes. I'll put in some creepy Excellent. music for the for the dub, d- dub in? No, creepy music just starts playing when he starts telling the story. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm not adding anything. Oh, yeah. Got to hide the magic of editing, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, it starts off by saying Tom and Bob started work Ooh, as... That music that just started's really creepy. <laughs> Shut oh. up. Tom and Bob started work as lad porters at a large station many years ago. Long before it was described officially as job sharing, they worked alternate nights and their duties consisted of seeing the last passenger trains out in the early hours of the morning and then cleaning lamps and other small tasks until the arrival of the newspaper train at 3.30am. And 3am, that's the creepy hour, so it's kind of spooky. 3am is the creepy hour. Yeah. That is confirmed. I thought 3 a.m. was the Saturday morning's hour. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's why. That's, that's why, why That's why he used that hour, because it's the witching hour. Yeah, the witching hour. That's right. Their principal task of the night was to unload the newspapers from the train and transfer them to the wholesalers' vans. After this spike of activities, they had to close and lock the main gates and extinguish the station lights and then they could retire to the little room beside the goods office where they built a fire with a bucket full of coal which they borrowed from a driver earlier in the day. Um, There was supposed to be a policeman on duty in the station during the night, but especially in the winter, he was usually inspecting some of the warmer rooms and didn't get as far as the goods office. This meant that the lad on duty was often totally alone until the arrival of the day shift a couple hours later. One... That is pretty spooky. Could you imagine being on a pitch black station by yourself? It's oh, yeah, imagine being a fruiter that time. I mean, yeah, I would assume the station is a little lower. Anyway, that's pretty it, doesn't, it doesn't say what station it is, so I can't reconfirm really or deny. Yeah. Yeah, we over junctions, like, not really that creepy. No, probably not. It would be more creative if it's like a one platform station and like. In the middle I, of I'm guessing this is an old story as well. Uh, yeah. So I can... They had mail trains uh, and shit, George. I can imagine it's probably pretty dark then on said station. Yes. Uh, one night as Tom extinguished the station... Wait, I just realised this is about you, Tom. Yeah, it is. You could have just told us this story. I didn't need to write it down. Yeah, you know what, you know what Tom, it's extinguished the station light. 
<laughs> he, he extinguished the station light. I mean, that's, that kind of proves his age, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> one night, as Tom extinguished the station lights, he thought he saw a shadowy movement near the entrance to one of the platforms. He hoisted his lantern and set off to investigate. Uh, he found nothing. Oh, I do like I do like hoisting a good lantern. <laughs> I know you do, Tom. Tom, can you confirm this story is real and true? Yeah. Well, I mean, hoisting witnesses? hoisting a lantern is something that comes naturally to me, and oh. um, I have a job shared on many an occasion. So yeah, I'd yeah. say this is true. And your station porter confirmed. Yeah, yeah your station porter. porter. The large porter, that's what that's what Barney was saying Roman was gonna be if he started station staff at Kroken. <laughs> a porter <laughs> of what? You're gonna be the lab porter. <laughs> the absolute crazy mail traffic that comes to Kroken on a daily basis. <laughs> Alright, we're we're getting to the spooky bit now. Oh, okay. On his way back, he felt a gentle nudge at the back of his knee. The sort of nudge a dog gives you when it wants to draw attention to something at which it does not want to bark. Instinctively, he turned around and found himself looking at two large eyes, and with a shriek he ran back to the goods office and locked himself in. When the early turn arrived, they found him a gibbering wreck, and he was taken away by men in white coats, and spent the rest of his life in an asylum. I'd say that's a pretty standard reaction to seeing that George is in the signal box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, yeah. He could, often, he could often be heard shouting at the animal that had literally frightened him out of his wits when he was a lad. And then uh, we go to the story of Bob. Uh, the next night, Bob arrived for duty, having heard about the previous nights going on. So he was prepared for what was about to happen. Was he, though? Well, we'll find out, won't we? After seeing, after seeing the newspapers away, locking the main gates and extinguishing the station lights, he walked back to the goods office. On the way, he felt a nudge behind his knee. He shouted at the dog to clear off, which it did. Knowing now that he was in command of the dog, he never experienced any more potential frightening events. Quite early in the history of the railways, before the days of industrial industry compensation, many large stations had dogs with collecting boxes whose proceeds were used to support railway men who had been injured at work. These dogs entered in the spirit of their purpose and might occasionally give a nudge behind the knee of someone passing them without contributing. So, uh, yeah, but you there see, we go. Could Bob, it was just a dog. Could Bob, could Bob hoist a lantern like your boy here? I don't think he could. <laughs> no, but he wasn't terrified by a dog, Tom, so... Well, it's hardly me, because I've got three dogs. But I probably do belong in an asylum. Yeah. You ended up in an asylum from a dog touching your leg. How did you uh, it's a pretty happy ending, really. I would say it's a happy ending. That yeah. was a, a little funny story, which uh, wasn't at all spooky, because it was just a dog. So we're um, going in with a nice nice bit of comedic effect for the kids. Yeah. That like Rowan. We're starting off light. It does get... What, Worse towards the end, and oh, okay. then uh, you now have the choice of a bricked-up train or flailing hand. <laughs> Let's go flailing which... hand for the last one. I want bricked up. Yeah, fl- flailing hand is going to be the best. <laughs> you want it to be the, the very last one. I think we should do it before I do the like better stories because these are the stupid stories. But I'll do it as the last stupid one if you want. Uh, yeah, please. All right. So the next one is bricked-up train then. 
which uh, you've correctly described as it's pretty much just the Henry story. Um, it's very short. It's one paragraph. At Crystal Palace, a local urban legend states that there is a train bricked up under the park, complete with dead passengers and crew. Sometimes the hands of the dead reach up from the ground and try to grab the living. Um, it is said that the story is based on the fact that an experimental railway was constructed here that worked by compressed air, but was abandoned after failure. Yeah, that's the whole story. That sounds kind of sus. They filled it with concrete right on air. Yeah, that is part of the reason why I included that story. <laughs> the compressed air. That's probably where they went wrong. They probably forgot the concrete. Yeah, they that's true. It failed because they didn't have the concrete in the boiler. So, yeah, that was, that's a little bit ridiculous. Um, but, no, yeah, supposedly beautiful. Crystal Palace, um, the dead reaches up from the ground and tries to grab you. So be careful of that. Um, yeah, I'll be careful next time uh, Next time I'm uh, wandering around those parts. <laughs> And then this is the last stupid story before it starts getting a little bit more less stupid. Um, and this is The Flailing Hand. So this story took place in 2006. <gasps> so it's uh, relatively recent. So that's kind of spooky. It, was, it took place on the line between Shenfield and Ingatestone. I've done my research and I think it would have been operated by a 321. My lords, um, the story goes. Uh, the story. It is very relevant. <laughs> the story goes that a commuter was travelling from London Liverpool Street to Clacton, um, and they reported seeing a hand appear from behind him as the train travelled between Shenfield and Ingatestone. The hand, you're gonna love this bit. The hand, appearing to be Asian, threw what? itself around <laughs> violently. What? Banging his seat and coming close to hitting the witness's head. The commuter Sorry, turned to why see... Is, why is its ethnicity important? <laughs> I yeah, don't know. How, how, can, how can they tell the hand's Asian? How do you tell that hand is Asian? That's what I wondered. The is, it commuter... like an, is, it, is it like an anime hand? Yeah. That appears. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the commuter turned to see who the hand belonged to, only to find a white middle-aged man asleep in the seat behind him with his hands not resem resembling those he saw moments before. And that is... that's the story. So... It's definitely true. <laughs> that was just confusing, to be honest. It's definitely yeah. a true story. No doubt in my mind. So, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a stupid that, one. That but... story was disappointing for the that title, I'm afraid. Yeah, it sounded really good. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally only added it because of the, the name. Flaming Hands. <laughs> So I just thought that'd be funny. And now we can move away from some of the stupid stories. I mean, they're still going to be relatively stupid, I'm sure, but... Uh, that would be completely normal. I've got two uh, potentially real stories. Uh, one's about a Class 37 and one's about a Class 47. Oh so my God. where do we want to start, guys? Do you want to hear about a Class 47 or a Class 37? 37, definitely, that's Right, Sam says 37. So, this is a story about a haunted class 37. Is it electric? Ooh. Is what? it electric? Yeah. That would be the most terrifying thing if 37 became electric. 
Well, that would be pretty scary, to be fair. That's when the 37s become dual-fueled. That's <laughs> spooky. They're on biofuel. <laughs> <laughs> it's renewable. <laughs> Stop, Patrick, you're scaring him. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, this is the story about 37069, which still exists today. Uh, and it was doing a, a run up the is East Coast, haunted? supposedly. Oh, okay. It was doing a run up the East Coast when the driver decided to swap places with the second man so he could get some road experience. After a short while, a, a Deltic Hall train passed, my lords. An object from the Deltic train smashed through the window and hit the second man straight in the head. Dead. The incident is reported to have occurred, occurred while under pre-tops identity of D6769, uh, and since then there have been report, reported incidents of the horn going off unexpectedly, the fire bottles discharging of their own accord, and an unexplained feeling that you are not alone in the cab. Uh, they've also had a of an apparition of the driver sitting in the driving position. That's pretty, that's pretty spooky. Uh, that 37 is operated by DRS currently. But how can, how can so, there be an apparition of the driver when it was a second man that got killed? I don't. Because the... I don't know if this... Was it the second man? I think it was the driver that got killed, but he was in the second man's seat. I believe. Because the driver swapped places. But then it was, it was, I think it was the drug. So the guy that could, so the, the second man could get a uh, road experience, George. I explained that in the story. Oh, I've, I've, see, you, I've seen this 37. I saw this on, um, it did a double headed tour down to Cornwall, I think, a few years ago. Was it spooky? No, not really. Did it give any <laughs> unexpected tones? <laughs> not really. Did, no. did, did you see any apparitions of the driver? Yeah. Um, did you see a driver sitting in the car? Did you see a driver sitting in the car? Oh my god, there he is! There's a driver That's the goose! I see him! Thankfully, funny, there was a driver in the car. He's got some pretty spooky Uga Booga headlights. Oh, that's spooky. Do they like flicker? Do they like flicker because of the uh, the ghost? Uh, I, th- I think, the, the, think the, the, the civilians of my town are about to celebrate the famous date today what i just heard a firework go off oh uh, the, people, the people of my town are about to i'm sorry to expose that this is not halloween we're recording this on but yeah they're I'm celebrating the, the, they're celebrating the 20 the 28th of october it's, a, it's, a, it's such an amazing day to remember <laughs> yeah well uh there was a, there's an extra report added to the 37 story and I believe it was uh, some guy, random guy that was spotting the 37 and he heard the 37 make tones and he looked in the cab and there was one in the cab. So that's just a little bonus story. No idea how real this whole haunted... Yeah, maybe it's true. But uh, yeah, if you have any uh, interactions with this 37 and you've heard any... uh, random tones with no one in the cab, please email us and, and tell us your spooky yes. stories. Uh, uh, I've, got, I've got a story 
I've got, well, it's not a story, but a couple of facts about a potentially spooky 40. Oh, no, no, I actually haven't heard about this. Go on. Oh, you're not? Okay. Um, Well, you may remember the great train, well, not remember, you weren't alive at the time, but the great train robbery of 1967. Oh, yeah, I was there. Perfectly. It was either, it was late 60s, wasn't it? It was either 67 or 69, where basically a group of what were now fairly famous criminals where they disconnected us well they didn't disconnect a signal they fucked about with the color light signal making sure it ran so that a mail train stopped and then they robbed it and apparently that loco like had a few more freaky things happen where it was similar things to what you said about the 37 like creepy mm. feeling of someone being there used to fail a lot and eventually it did get scrapped um because and oh. they like i think they they had I can't remember. It was either they had high security when they cut it up, or they burned bits of it so that some, you know, like treasure hunters that were obsessed over the robbery couldn't get to it. I'm pretty sure. Sorry, my details are so vague. It's been such a long time since I looked it all up, but I definitely remember something about that one being a bit freaky. It was always known as a bit of a weird one. Interesting. Mm. Well, there you go. And now I'll, I'll move on to the uh, the 47 story, I suppose. No, and this is... Uh-huh. Why would you do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe I should have stopped here, shall I? Yep, that's it. That's <laughs> Thank yeah, you, everyone, for listening. You. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the story of uh, 47299, the cursed loco. Uh, what's cursed about it? Is it like got like a weird horn or something? Yeah, try and guess what's cursed about it before I even tell the story. Go on. The Flying Dutchman, uh, um, whatever it's called, it. Yeah. <laughs> whatever Possess, you just said. Possess, possesses it. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. How do you know? No. Oh, this is a, This is the story forty seven two nine nine, which was built in May nineteen sixty five, at a Brush Company Loughborough Works as D one eight six six. Uh, and in February 1974, it was renumbered to its tops number, the 47216. Yep. But then in December 1981, it was renumbered again to 47299. The only remaining possible number for a Class 47-0 before the 47-3 slow speed control series began. Yep. The reason for the second renumbering has something of a myster- mysterious banishing ritual associated. Normally... Normally, new numbers are only allocated when a locomotive has had a major modification requiring the TOPS computer to identify its new subclass. But in the case of 47216, there was no physical change, only a psychic element. What? No one knew the reason for the renumbering, but the, the first inkling came when the loco was involved in a crash and one magazine reported... After predictions of impending doom, BR even renumbered 47216 to 47299, but it obviously made little difference. This brief news item claimed that the jinx that has haunted the Immune-based Class 47 for over two years followed it for a remarkable crash. Now the crash occurred at Rawby Junction, which is a convergence of lines just outside Barnaby. Are you telling me that the tra- the forty sevens haunted? No, I'm saying it was cursed, George. God, 
I've heard about this one because it wasn't oh. it predicted by a psychic as well, and then it got in the news and BR renumbered yes. it, and then it still happened. It was quite a long time there, before Tom. it happened, there. wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. At about 6.18 on December 9th, 1983, 47299 was hauling a train of 900 tonne empty oil tanks when a set of power points which had been hand-cranked but not clipped reset themselves in front of the freight train. A collision then occurred with the 1732 Cleethorpes to Sheffield 2-car Class 114. A student Rachel Taylor was killed and a dozen other passengers injured. It seemed almost callous to add that both the cabs of 47299 were stove in and the DMU severely damaged. I think I have a photo. There is the photo of the camps. Oh, bloody uh, hell. Not a great uh, look. The, uh, the official report stated that the weather was fine and visibility was good. Oh, yeah, Yet another, another report claimed emergency service was stretched to the limit in appalling weather conditions, while adding that the renumbering came after a prophet predicted a crash involving its earlier guys, 47216. The story was that a clairvoyant had a reoccurring vision of a train crash involving a big blue engine. Now, I'm reading that and I'm instantly thinking of um, Gordon. <laughs> a big blue engine. <laughs> a train crash involving a big blue engine hauling oil tankers. Nothing could stop it and someone would die. Something even. She, oh, she could even def- decipher the number 47216. She called British Rail and insisted her name to be kept secret before revealing the accident in minute detail. So how did they not avoid it? That's what I want to know. Uh, Apparently depot managers found her predictions had been taken seriously in police investigations. After the crash, a rail enthusiast recalled phoning Immingham Depot to ask why 47216 had been renumbered and was told staff had been warned of a clairvoyance predictions and made a special application to BR headquarters in London to change the number. Uh, someone else checked out the story with BR and confirmed 47299's history, um, but the prediction was not mentioned at the hearing, and the BR st- spokesperson said, we regard the whole thing as an amazing coincidence. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that everyone seemed to think this 47 was cursed. Yes, and they renumbered. There was a because there was a clairvoyant that claimed that she was gonna that she saw uh, it crash in her vision. And, and I guess it had the its original number in this vision, so they thought if they changed the number, then it can't happen anymore. Yes, exactly. There's did new... it get repaired afterwards? Um, I believe it did. Um, no, it was never repaired. And now you whoa. see apparitions of 47 to <laughs> yeah. There's a ghost on, on the track. They used to shunt locos around Immingham with no driver. <laughs> <laughs> they used to blow its <laughs> But, uh, yeah. Don't know how true that story is, but no one knows why it was renumbered. And there's no seems to be no real reason why it was renumbered and that's why the story exists yeah um, i'd heard that one before quite a long time ago and i always found it difficult to believe that she got it that bang on with the detail but so true. the points were weren't clipped so they must have been no. worn or the locking mechanism was worn or the point lock was worn so 
I mean, I don't know, maybe they weren't monitoring wear on the points or whatever, because they shouldn't have had to have been relying on clipping points at junctions, but then trying to work back then must have been pretty shit. I think the point had failed, and the signalman had flipped it over. I see. He'd he'd, um, wound it across, but didn't clip it, I think, is Um, what it says. And then it went back to its original position or whatever. Imagine oh. clipping the point. <laughs> you have a railway centre clip all their points. Their chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The railway centre never fail at doing that. <laughs> they hold the flag all the way. <laughs> and at Crocom, I have no points to clip, so because uh, they're all mechanical. Nice. Good for you. I say all. There's two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you haven't got many to worry about. They're still both mechanical, yeah. though. Yeah. Love no point clips. Makes your job easier. Yeah. All right. Well, next uh, story is a, is a tale. This one's a bit of a longer one. Um, it's a tale of a man named John Cuppage, which took place in Lurgan, Ireland. Oh yeah, me, me and me and Mr. Cuppage go way back. Oh yeah. Oh, that's an unfortunate name, isn't it? He's probably he's probably uh, already told me this story. Uh, we're best friends. Yeah, go on. What happens then? Oh, um, yeah. Well, this, uh, this, this class twenty. <laughs> no, it's an island, George. It thrashes up. It's an island, George. It thrashes up Alton Bank. It's yeah, it's violence. an island, George. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see the problem. Right. Class twenty. Okay, you, you have to wait a second. Yeah. Let me get to it. Yeah. Class twenty. Yeah. It thrashes up Alton Bank with so much thrash and power. Yeah. That it explodes. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. then it, and then parts of it launch into Ireland. Oh, and what? It like now, lands yeah, on someone and, and kills them? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you see apparitions of the of the class twenty in Ireland. Not the dead person. And the dead person. Oh. <laughs> the dead person's driving the class twenty in the apparitions. Uh, uh, they became ghosts together, and I was aware of time driving it around. It's another ghost of it's another ghost of Richard Bentley spatting every signal. <laughs> on line inspection <laughs> with, 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 with full possession I'd like to point out not just not just fadding <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say Sam I actually have versions of class 20 because I've been on my class 20 or those class 20s and I like that so much if I ever go there if I ever see them I can yeah, class twenty idling for hours after I've left. <laughs> tinnitus, class twenty idling. Well, that's very <laughs> unfortunate. Is it only class twenties that give you this? After the yeah, so far after the week after the weekend we had at the Ninja Diner, when I got home, I was still hearing class twenty idling. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. To be fair. I mean, I think of the hearing. But if you write when I when I did my work experience in the West Somerset, and I was on a train all day, every day for five days in a row, um, and that obviously jointed track in a Mark One as well. I just after that, I just felt like I was still on a coach, just swaying around after I got off for like hours afterwards. Isn't that like an effect you get on boats after you get off yeah. a boat? So it's as bad yeah. as like I, I I had it 
I just felt like I was still moving around on the train. You got seasick on a Mark 1? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, well, <laughs> Track work was that bad. I wasn't sick. Um, but I no, felt but you had like that I was feeling. still on a coach. I didn't feel like I was on sturdy ground anymore. <laughs> even though I was. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to this uh, John Cuppage story. In this great name. <laughs> so, so, uh, to be honest, I kind of feel bad for any like guard that worked back in the Steam days that I probably endured that their entire life. <laughs> that's true. Or good, it would have been worse for a good guard, wouldn't it? Yeah. Being thrown oh, about, yes. no especially, especially, especially Geneva UR ones, and the total day every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Imagine the yeah, speeds as bad. well in the total. <laughs> <laughs> My God! Yeah. Right. So, uh, John was a middle-class farmer slash landowner slash businessman of good repute. Uh, one day, he was at the local market selling a couple of calves. He lived in a fair size of a piece of land in the plain, and on his way home from the market, he crosses a railway bridge before carrying on a bit further to his house on the left-hand side. As he approached his house, however, something felt wrong, as his wife was not waiting in the doorway to greet him, as she normally would. He went into the house immediately, and that on the table he found a note which read, Dear John, I'm leaving you tonight for another man who I love more than you. <laughs> Sorry. That's so weird. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, honestly. That's such I'm a weird John, way of wording it, though. John, I'm yeah. fed up of you cupping me every night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fed up of your cuppage. Please stop. <laughs> I have seeked a man with better, more cuppage than you. <laughs> and then it continues, I am sorry to tell you, but we are leaving tonight on the Dublin Express. And now this is where her mistake lies, because John knows the time of the trains. Um, as he used to send produce to Belfast. He's an avid train spotter. Yeah, because he's a train spotter, that's exactly why. So he took out his watch, and he knew he wouldn't make it to Lurgan Station to get them, so instead he set off in the trap to the railway bridge that he passed earlier, jumped out of the trap, and climbed down the side onto the tracks. And he sat down on the sleeper and waited. It wasn't long until we heard the vibration on the line and the train was approaching. The Dublin Express had a good head of steam by the time it got to Silverwood Bridge. John put his neck across the tracks and waited for it to end. The train shot past its speed and kept going until it reached Dublin. So he kind of fucked up there. I don't know if he was, you know, planning to delay the train or... I don't know what his plan was, to be honest. But maybe that's what he's aiming for. Maybe he's trying to, like, kill himself in front of the train. And then yeah. cause the train to be late, and then yeah, maybe that was his plan. But, yeah, but he, he, he can't get back with his misso if like he, he's the reason that the train derailed, can he? He's dead. Well, that's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not much you can do about that because it yeah, just kept going apparently. Uh, I, I don't know. Really... I don't really find that one very spooky, to be honest. Well, I haven't finished. <laughs> that was I haven't finished. Here comes the spooky bit. It's really spooky, guys. Don't worry. The story <laughs> continues with the burial in Shankill Graveyard. His grave has said to later on have a set of wood, wooden uh, decorate chains surrounding his burial plot. It was reported that the only time those chains vibrated was when the Dublin Express went past. <laughs> they never vibrated with the passing of any other train. 
It is also reported if you go to the railway line on the day and time that he died, you will see his ghostly figure. So okay, yeah, it wasn't the best. Was one, his ghostly but... was his ghostly figure lightly cupping a man's scrotum? Potentially, <laughs> probably his own. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> while oh waiting for God. the train to come, he's just there cupping his, himself. Yeah. But uh, reasonable, yeah. So I don't really know what which bit is haunted. The chains vibrated when the Dublin Express went past. So is it the train that's haunted or? I'm guessing that's his ghost reacting to it, you know? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's like the ghost, like the the chain is like reacting to him getting run over, maybe? Yeah, but the cha- it's his ghost reacting to the train going past. Well, yeah, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a shit story, really, but it's just Oi, a that was a brilliant story. But I've got a really good one now. And it's a real story because it's written by a signaller. Well, that uh, makes it real, does it? Well, you'd hope so. It was written on a form by an actual railway signaller. Um, so you'll like this one, George, because it's about signalling. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is written from the signalman's point of view. So, Pov. Yeah, signalman Pov. One very cold and frosty night when I was I on call. This. Great, yeah. When I was on call, I received a telephone call asking me to attend a signal box. Crocom he filled. That, <laughs> that had been closed for some time, not Crocom he filled. It used to signal a diverging line that had been closed, and since then the signal, signal box had not been manned and was locked out and switched out of circuit, with the signals off, as it was not required for the line sectioning purposes. It was reported by a driver of a down freight that a person had been observed in the box and the lights were on, and the fire was going. Knowing that the box had been closed, the driver stopped specially out of course at the next signal box to report the matter. Control had called the police and wanted me to attend as well, which I did. The box itself could only be reached by a long, tortuous road, which includes driving out of the city for some miles in order to cross a dike from where you travel back Cross again a, a dike from where you travel back again across the opposite side of the dike and down a poorly surfaced road to the box the box was visible in the distance from another signal box which was also closed which had been very easy road access from the city centre so it was arranged that I would meet the police there which I did Sure enough, in the far distance we could see the closed signal box that was the subject of the report, and indeed the lights were on. Of course, we did not know who was there, or why, so it was decided that the easiest and quickest way to get there would be to drive to it, which we did, albeit at some rapid speed. Remember that the police were treating it as a potential burglary slash vandalism slash arson, and in an otherwise quiet city it added some variation to their otherwise quiet night. Off we went, therefore, with the blue lights flashing, with me racing along behind in the railway van, trying to keep up. Much quicker, of course, than we would ordinarily been the case, we reached the signal box to find it in total darkness. Now, of course, the first assumption was that whoever was ever there had departed. Now, however, came the very strange thing about the whole incident. We walked to the box steps to find them covered in frost. Clearly no one had been up those steps. We walked around the bottom to see if they had climbed out a window and shimmied down a rope. Again, there was no sign of this. 
and the footboards over the point rolling were frost-covered, so no one had walked here. Myself and the policeman went up the steps to find the box door locked, which I duly opened and we went inside. It was quite obvious, quickly, that no one had been in the box whatsoever. The fire had definitely not been on, and there was no heat in the air either. Everything looked to be in good order, and there was no evidence of any damage. Of course, by now, neither of us were particularly impressed, me for having been summoned out of bed, and the policeman who had been hoping for some action, only to find nothing. I telephoned Control to confirm that I'd been given the correct details and to confirm the driver's report. Uh, we reached. We agreed that the driver should be contacted to find out some more details as there was now a very clear issue dispute with the report. The driver was actually at his relieving point depot waiting to work back and we were able to challenge him about the story pretty quickly. Both he and his second man were absolutely adamant that, at what they had seen, additionally adding that the lighting appeared to be by oil light. They were both flabbergasted and somewhat put out, also, at what they felt was the veracity of their report being questioned, and it was agreed that, provided that they stopped momentarily at the signal box on the way back, that we would cover the delay. <laughs> they also insisted on the TCI at the depot, confirming that they had not been drinking, and the deputy chief controller also telephoned the TCI privately at their home depot and confirmed that they were two level-headed men with good records. I went back to the signal box in the daylight with an S&T lineman to check the situation. The situation was exactly as it was before, with nothing touched. We did never actually reach any confirmed conclusion, and I was happy to accept that the driver and the second man had stopped and reported something they were convinced they had seen for a variety of reasons. The driver will be long retired by now, and there's every possibility that the second man will be a senior driver somewhere. Such a shame I do not have the records to identify them, because it would be interesting to see what they had to say after all these years. That is, mm, uh, that's an strange. interesting one. Mm, so that's probably the most real one I've got here. Good story. Good car uh, chase as well. like that. Yeah. <laughs> a good car chase to a signal box. <laughs> they chase that signal box down. They short but, show uh, that was a good box. box. Yeah, yeah, so speeding at great speeds to get to Croton on time for a 33 crossover and then crashing into a curb. What? Uh, Sam, when Sam was driving with um, Harley to see the 33s cross at Croton on that day yeah. where I was signaling, um, so I didn't see it because obviously the car box quite far away from the box, but uh, apparently, uh, Sam clipped the curb with his car because he was frantically trying to park so he could see this mega rare 33 crossover. Yeah, oh my. Is shit at Croken, let's be real. Like, they have this, there's this huge lip. There's a completely Normally, acceptable car, car park at Croken. no problem going over the top of curbs like the front bumper to go over a curb, but that curb is so unbelievably massive they couldn't. Yes, it is. I have hit the front of my car on it. Yeah, because okay. because because I can because it was a one time where I drove forwards in I can reverse into that space and not hit the curb but I cannot pull forwards but the front of my car is lower than the back of my car so the problem was there was someone waiting for me to you know, get out of the way and it was like I had to get in as far as I could because my car would be sticking out of the the base is not big enough. Well, uh, I have one story left, um, and 
it's a pretty spooky one. Probably the most spooky one. In it's terms of in terms of like actual scariness, because the rest of them have not really had anything that scary. Um, but... Well, enlighten us, old sage storyteller of old. Yeah, I better be absolutely yes. terrified after you finish this one. <laughs> you better be. <laughs> uh, this is called the, the Swanwick Woman. Well, that's why I named it. Um, it's not a very scary sounding name. <laughs> well, you don't know what, what, about the woman, yeah. It's quite a comedic but... name, actually. Yeah, is it? Well, it starts off saying, "When I well, this is written in the in the point of view of." This guy, whoever this guy is. Yeah, it's written in the point of view of this guy. Yeah, I have no idea who the Man, guy is. Yeah, this guy, go way back. Shut up. When I was 18, I had a girlfriend who lived 20 miles away at Park Gate. To get there, I regularly used the train from Cosham to Swanwick Station. To get home on, on this particular Sunday evening, I arrived at 11pm on Swanwick Station. That's already scary enough, to be honest. Nice. Turning up at Swanwick Station at 11pm. I wouldn't do isn't it. Isn't that the um? Isn't that uh, the Midland Railway Centre, Swanwick Junction and Station? No, no, no. It's Hampshire. This is somewhere else. Oh, this is Hampshire. Oh, okay. Yes, it's on the. Uh, I think it's it's somewhere in the Portsmouth area. I'm not totally sure okay. exactly where. I think it's, yeah, it's between Portsmouth and Southampton. Cool. Okay, so it's a fairly remote and dingy station, and it was unusual for anyone else to be there at this hour, but a lady in her late 40s or early 50s was seated waiting for the last train. She was about 5 foot 4 inches tall, of plump build, with permed hair, and was wearing a camel coat, and was carrying a very large canvas shopping bag, which had tartan pattern on. I sat down to wait for the train, which were frequently late. After... After a few minutes, the lady asked if there was a tr- was a train, as she had to get back to Portsmouth. I told her that I was also waiting for the same train, and that it should be along soon. Several times she asked the same question, and reinforced that she must get back to Portsmouth. When the train eventually did arrive, she remained seated, but came, became very agitated and began to cry. I told her that this was the last train, but several times, between sobs, she repeated, I can't go back. I asked if I could help and suggested that if she got on the train maybe we could talk about her problems. But again, she said, I can't go back. Meanwhile, the guard had got off the train to point out that this was the last train on that night and that if I was getting on, I should hurry. From this angle, you probably couldn't see the lady. Reluctantly, I got on the train and as it pulled out the station, I could see her sobbing. On the return journey, not the return journey, on the journey home, I felt guilty about leaving her as she was obviously very upset about something. On arriving home at Cosham, I telephoned the police at Parkgate and briefly relayed the story and asked if perhaps someone could visit the railway station and see if she was okay. I gave a description of her height, dress and the bag she was carrying. I assumed that perhaps some domestic dispute was the cause of her distress. On arriving home from work the next evening, my mother drew my attention to an article in the local paper, The Evening News. She knew that I had caught the train home from Swanwick and this article was appealing for witnesses to an accident near that station. I immediately recognised the photograph included in the article as the lady from the previous evening. The description of her clothing, height, dress and bag also matched perfectly. The article was appealing for a witness to an accident where the lady had been killed while walking along the railway lines on the Saturday evening. I telephoned 
the newspaper and suggested that they'd confused the dates and that I spoke to the lady they checked. I spoke to the lady. They checked and to my surprise insisted that the accident had been on Saturday. I then telephoned the police who listened to my story and indeed confirmed that I had reported the incident on Sunday evening. However, were adamant that the incident had occurred on Saturday. In a subsequent article in the news local newspaper, I learned that the lady was called Maureen Hampton and she was a patient in a local mental hospital. She had been allowed out on the Saturday and had been to Portsmouth. Returning in the evening, she had missed the station at Swanwick and got off the train at the next stop. Not being familiar with the area, she had decided to walk the short distance back to Swanwick along the lines and had been struck by a train. Um, and he ends the story by saying, I caught the bus after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame <laughs> There we go. So that was the last story. A little bit more spooky than the others, yeah, in a way, spooky. but but uh, probably not true. So there we go. Yeah, but we, uh, we, can, we can confirm the My Ghost story from the start. That was true. That is weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. And we can confirm uh, uh, the uh, Sigelman story because that was that was you, George. Yeah, that was me. And we can confirm the uh, the first story about the dog because it was Tom. Um, yeah, but then that and was the forty-seven because and the forty-seven, so that did actually happen. Yeah, and potentially the 37? I don't really know. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, there we go. There's some spooky railway stories oh. for everyone. Oh, that, 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 that spooky music's finally stopped. Oh, oh, oh thank, thank God. <laughs> thank God. I, was getting I wondered where that, that was coming from, honestly. <laughs> it was really bizarre. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thanks for, for listening. Um, I've been Aaron. That's been uh, I, 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 and uh, we hope that you all enjoyed the lovely ghost stories as we all sat huddled around listening to Aaron. Yes. <laughs> I think I think the scariest thing about this is it's the first podcast where we haven't bashed Hornby. <laughs> that That's the spookiest thing of all. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> we were all here waiting for them to announce a Halloween range, and we just got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I, guess, yeah. I, guess, I, I guess the next special podcast will be the, the Ho 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 podcast. Oh, um, yeah. uh, we get your girlfriend yeah. on, George. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we can uh, do for Christmas, but we ought to do something. Uh, yeah, you can plan that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that was that episode. Uh, I've been Aaron. That's been George. Hello. I mean, goodbye. <laughs> that's been Tom. Farewell, sporters of the land. Yeah, whatever he says. And that was Sam. <laughs> just as interesting as it was at the start. That's the same thing at the exact same the reaction as the start. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.